Listen, Marley was a dead guy. Pretty dead, really dead. Not in a metaphorical way. He was just straight up, just super dead. I like to use the phrase, dead as a doornail. It has a nice ring to it. No pun intended. Good alliteration and so on. You know, the first time I heard the phrase, I thought it was just a rusty nail in like a door to a house or something. But I think it's actually referring to a coffin door, which makes a lot more sense, although I don't usually think of it as a door. Though, poetically, there is some existential wonder to a coffin door being the last door to the afterlife, literally the last door your body will go through before it is closed indefinitely. Still, personally, I've never seen it as a door. Coffins don't have doors, they have lids. Or maybe it's not a lid, it's not anything. A coffin is just an oversized chest for storing a single body. You say, open that chest, not open the door to the chest, or take off the lid of the chest, it's not a door because doors go into rooms, and it's not a lid because it's not a cookie jar. Also, I read somewhere that coffins and caskets are not the same thing and should not be used interchangeably. In fact, a coffin is shaped and has a detachable lid, while a casket is not shaped, it has hinges like a door. And speaking of doors, Marley had passed through his final door, because he was dead. He was as dead as the nail, or maybe even a number of nails that were hammered into the door or lid of the coffin to keep it shut as his corpse decomposed. So I guess it would be more accurate, or at least it would make more sense to say Marley was as dead as a lid nail, although that doesn't slip off the tongue as nicely as dead as a doornail. Now I really could have just said Marley was dead, and not gone into that tangent, but, you know, I gotta make this story long, and I assume you like long stories, and that's why you're here. Or maybe your friend is making you listen to this, and in your head you're thinking, wow, yet another reinterpretation of a Christmas carol. Or maybe you're unfamiliar with the story, and you really just want to get this over with, and if that's the case, I'll just tell you right now. Spoiler alert! A rich old geezer named Scrooge is visited by three ghosts who show him his past, present, and future, respectively, and then realizes, wow, I'm the worst, and changes his ways. This all happens during Christmas time. That's the whole story. Now you know it, but you probably already knew it anyway, and we keep revisiting this story and getting different actors or Muppets or cartoon characters telling the same story, but with a different perspective or twist. And if you think about it, that's actually what the ghosts do in Christmas Carol. They're not really giving Scrooge any new info. They're actually telling him stuff he already knows, but from a different perspective, which is also what I am currently attempting to do. Anyway, this guy Marley, who's dead, as we've hopefully established by now, had a business partner named Scrooge, who's still alive. When Marley died, Scrooge didn't really seem that bummed out, even though they were best friends and business partners and all that. After Marley died, Scrooge kept the Marley part of the Scrooge and Marley sign above the door to their business building and didn't keep it out of nostalgia, it was just because he didn't feel like moving it. People who never went into the building before would accidentally call Scrooge Marley and he wouldn't even correct them, not because he didn't want to embarrass his customers and make them feel bad by saying, Marley's my dead business partner, call me Scrooge. He didn't care if people called him Scrooge or Marley because all he cared about was money because he was so crusty. You know those types of people you don't know all that well, but you'll still say hi if you run into them, even if it's really awkward and you both know it? Scrooge wasn't that type of person. You wouldn't go up to him and say, Yo, Scrooge, long time no see, wanna hang out sometime? 
because not only would it be awkward if you did, but he'd probably make you feel bad for even asking. Now, I could go on and on about this and come up with other examples for 10 or 20 minutes, but really, all you need to know now is Scrooge stinks and we don't like him. At least not yet. Anyway. It was Christmas time, and to put it poetically, it was really, really cold. You know, like the day after it snows and there aren't any clouds and you can't make snowballs because the snow is so powdery and won't stick together? And then you look like an idiot for trying to pack the snow together and your hands get cold and you have nothing to show for it? It was that cold, both outside and inside the office where Scrooge was. He had a little fire next to him and his clerk was in the other room with an even smaller fire with, like, just one measly coal. And Scrooge kept the coals in his own room because he was a selfish, crusty old crust which the clerk knew, so he didn't even bother asking if he could use any of the coals. So he just kept his coat on and tried to use the candle to keep warm, which wasn't really effective. It was pretty sad to watch, actually. Now that we've established this sad setting, let's have some story happen. Suddenly, Scrooge's nephew came in and says, Merry Christmas, Uncle Scrooge, to which Scrooge responds with his iconic phrase, Bah humbug. Webster's Dictionary defines humbug as deceptive or false talk or behavior. There is an additional British definition which describes humbug as a hard candy, especially one flavored with peppermint. Now, I doubt Scrooge was referring to candy unless doing so ironically. What Scrooge insinuated was something even more strange. Now, if you'll humor me for a moment, imagine someone, a relative perhaps, comes to you at work and wishes you a Merry Christmas. Imagine yourself responding by saying, You are lying. You lie. By wishing me a Merry Christmas, you are in fact engaging in deceptive and false behavior. You lie to me, yourself, and the whole gym state. To which your relative would reply, You don't mean that, I'm sure. Which is exactly what Scrooge's nephew said. Now, to the listeners who are hearing this story for the first time, I'm assuming you're all good people. I'm sure you've had an experience where someone you know tells you about someone you've never met and how evil they are. And I'm sure, as the good person you are, you listen to this friend, nod your head in agreement, while secretly you think to yourself, I'm sure they're not really all that bad, and you give them the benefit of the doubt. Then, eventually you meet this person for the first time and realize everything you've heard about this person is 100% true. You're about to have the same experience with Ebenezer Scrooge now. At this point, Scrooge says something along the lines of, you don't have the right to be happy, you're too poor. Now, subconsciously you might think, this ideology is so asinine, nobody would actually say this, let alone think this way. To that, I would just tell you to visit linkedin.com, and after spending five minutes on that website, you will discover the actually real, alive, human, insane people who do in fact think and say uncomfortably similar things. The cheery nephew responds by saying something along the lines of, well, you're too rich to be sad. The old classic switcheroo. Scrooge makes the equally thoughtful counterpoint of humbug and follows that up with the lamentation that I am surrounded by fools who don't know how to make money, and these idiots deserve to die. The nephew counters with a brand new idea that there is more to life than money, and that, quote, Christmas is cool because it gives us an excuse for everyone to be nicer to each other, and although I haven't made money, I have made a lot of jolly good memories and have had some good times, close quote. Had I been alongside this nephew, I would have also added, And you're a crusty old crust for thinking otherwise and invalidating your nephew's happiness, Scrooge, you crusty buffoon. This nephew character is, of course, much more tactful than I, and I commend him for maintaining a cheerful attitude around the miserable coot that is Scrooge. 
At the end of the You're Wrong Uncle, Christmas Actually Rocks speech, the clerk, who we haven't paid attention to since he attempted to warm his hands by the candle, involuntarily applauds, realizes his mistake of rooting against his employer, and stops applauding. It probably went something like this. Therefore, Uncle Scrooge, I believe Christmas is super duper sugar plums. And then the clerk nervously turns away, pokes at his coal, and accidentally extinguishes it. To add insult to injury, or in this case, to add coldness to a sudden lack of heat, Scrooge puts the clerk in his place by saying, If you so much as hint at agreeing with anyone, whether I'm related to them or not, who disagrees with me about anything, I will not hesitate to fire you. Which is a great metaphor for the employment industry, just a side note. He then makes a snide remark to his nephew, saying, Wow, great speech. You should go into politics. Despite Scrooge being a huge wad, the nephew invites him to Christmas dinner. Scrooge responds by saying, I'll see you in that place where Christians believe sinners go after they die. The nephew says, Stop being a sourpuss. Scrooge then makes fun of his nephew for being married, and the only thing dumber than Christmas is marriage. Says, Get out of here with your fake happiness. And the nephew says, Okay, whatever, weirdo. Merry Christmas. Bye and fist bumps the clerk on the way out. This fist bump really rubs Scrooge the wrong way. He thinks, ah, I hate my clerk, he's so dumb, look at him. Poor and stupid and poor and celebrating Christmas and poor, so obnoxious, he's gonna drive me crazy. Stay tuned for part two, when two people ask Scrooge to donate to charity, and, man, his response is just, uh, well, you're just gonna have to see.